He saved others, let him save himself. Amen. Amen. Well, good people, happy New Year's Eve. Okay, so kind of. At least for us as liturgical church, it is. Today is, in fact, the last Sunday of our church's liturgical year, so it is our New Year's Eve of sorts. Next Sunday, we will begin a new, fresh year with the dawn of Advent. We will begin again to prepare for the birth of a baby that turns out to be our Savior King. We begin the new year preparing for that birth through the season of Advent, and we end the year today with this gospel reading and the feast of Christ the King. With, by the way, the gospel story of our Savior on a cross surrounded by criminals. We don't end our year with the story of resurrection or a sweet miracle, or some clearly victorious act of Jesus, but we end the year with this, the story of Jesus and two criminals in a moment of suffering and pain and humiliation and submission. Yay, welcome to church. Right, John? Last week, John pointed out that sometimes the good news of the gospel doesn't just jump right off the page and make itself known to us. Sometimes we have to dig deep into the story for the good news. Sometimes we have to read it closely together to hear it clearly. But it is there. Even in this story of a suffering Jesus, there is good news in the gospel for us today at the close of our church year. So happy New Year's Eve, otherwise known to many many as the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ or the Feast of Christ the King, or in some English churches, Stir It Up Sunday. (laughs) Yep, Stir It Up Sunday, those wacky English people. That name refers back to the colic that some churches pray on this last day of our liturgical year that begins, stir up in us, dear Lord, thy will of your faithful people. The lore goes that the collect then acts as a reminder to those gathered to begin the process of making the Christmas pudding by stirring together all the ingredients needed at home and then letting it set until the Christmas feast So, all souls, consider yourselves reminded, get to making that pudding, stir it up. I also think that this stir it up Sunday could be a reminder to us to stir up our understanding of how God is working in our lives, and then let that reflection set during the season of Advent, and then call us into the new year with a more clear understanding of what we are called to become as a people. So on this final day of our liturgical year, as with the last day of a calendar year, let's stir it up by reflecting on our lives together, maybe even setting some new year resolutions as we consider the gospel and the feast of Christ the King. The feast of Christ the King is a relatively new feast day. This day was established in the year 1925 by Pope Pius. 
When we reflect on what was happening in the year 1925, we gain an understanding about the Pope's impulse to establish this feast day. The First World War had just ended, and with it came the rise of globalism and a growing concern about conquering dictators and the suffering of nations under powerful regimes. People around the world were questioning the leaders of nations in a new and crucial way. We as humans in community have long sought both freedom and security. Freedom and security. When we read our scripture beginning in the Hebrew text, we have a narrative of the seeking of both freedom and security with an equal zeal. Now the prophets of the Hebrew Bible are funny people. The role of a prophet is varied and often dramatic, but always the prophet is charged with truth-telling. The prophet speaks to the people God's vision and God's demands. The prophet has a direct line to God and is called to speak on God's behalf. In ancient Israel, the people who were struggling without freedom or security were begging God for a king. They wished to be like other nations, to be ruled and guided by a king that would establish for them freedom and security and make them like other nations. But what they get instead, we read in the book of Samuel, is a prophetic word about God's true intention for them, not as a nation, but as holy people. We hear in Samuel chapter 8, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and said to him, Appoint for us a king to govern us like other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord God said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. So God says, Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall warn them, and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel goes back to the people of Israel and says to them, this king that you seek, this king will not be kind or fair. He will take everything you have and will leave you with nothing. But the reading continues. The people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king rule over us so that we may also be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. What follows in the Hebrew scriptures is a very, very long story of a people bitterly disappointed over and over again by all the men they make their king, but who in the end fail and disappoint them. This is the story of humanity. We seek freedom and security through human power and intervention, and we are 
always bitterly disappointed. Beginning next week in our new year, we will hear from a different prophet, from angels on high about the birth of another king. And so that is how our electionary leaves us on this last day of the year, wisely bridging for us this story of a suffering Jesus and yet lifting up the birth of that king, Christ the King. The people of ancient Israel and us, we really aren't that different. You see, the people of Israel already had everything they needed for true freedom and security. They had the God of liberation who had freed them from Egypt. But as the scripture says, the people turned away from the God of liberation and worshipped other gods and demanded kings. What Pope Pius saw and responded to in our church and the global culture in 1925 was a people seeking security and freedom from earthly rulers who were demanding an earthly king to fight their battles for them and who were worshiping other gods, gods of war and economy. Little g-gods, like John pointed out last week, they were looking to little g-gods to save them from their fear and apathy. In creating this Feast of Christ the King to end our liturgical year, Pope Pius was reminding us of the words of the prophet and pointing to the angels on high, this new king, Christ the King, that we are called to follow, the God of abundance and mercy and sacrifice. This Jesus King, though, in our reading today, hanging from a cross with criminals, doesn't look like the king many of us might hope for. Much like the king God brings, the Israelites did not look much like a king either. One man that eventually becomes king for the people was David. David was the youngest brother, small in stature and as unlikely as a king as there could be. As the prophet Samuel gives in and goes looking for a king that the people are demanding, he comes to the sons of Jesse. He first sees a tall and strong man and he says to the Lord God, this must be he, the king you wish me to anoint. But God says this, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord God does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord God looks at the heart. When people look for a king, we look for signs of physical power, but the Lord God looks at the heart because true power is found there in the heart. Next week, we will hear that our king is born a poor brown-bodied baby in a barn for animals. By appearances, an unlikely king as well. But the Lord God does not look at the appearance of a person, but at the heart. The heart of Jesus is what makes him king for us. A poor brown-skinned man born in Palestine who spends his whole life serving others and healing others and teaching others, who ends his life on a cross surrounded by criminals forgiving those that murdered him. Because of his heart, 
He is our king. In our gospel today, as Jesus hangs on the cross, the soldiers taunt him and say, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself. You saved others. Why don't you save yourself? But you see, Jesus had already discerned. He had already prayed and he had submitted himself to God's plan for humanity, his heart set on reuniting with God in death and with us in resurrection. That was the life-giving, liberating love of Jesus' heart. And that liberation is what he offers to us now. Not the freedom or security of an earthly king, but life-giving, liberating love found only in unity with God and in service to our brothers and sisters. And this is the good news of our gospel today. Jesus did not save himself that day on the cross because of his heart. Because Jesus' heart and thus his life was never about saving himself. But his life was always about self-sacrifice. This is the heart of Jesus and the heart of our teachings on how to live as Christians. Because of his heart, he is our king. I am grateful for this feast day because seriously, given where the world is now, I too, like the church and the world in 1925, I too need to be reminded of who my king really is, of whose example I am called to follow and whose leadership offers me true freedom found in the liberating, life-giving love of God. Because of his heart, he is our king. Do you ever wonder why we in the church do so love our adornment that can appear very royal? The robes, the brass, the lofty, beautiful music. Some feel and some fear that all of these things, these adornments could be for us idols. But I want to suggest that rather than idols, these things in our common worship and the life of our church are here to remind us every week that our loyalty and our inspiration are found in the body of Christ, in the beauty and power of community and the holy word of God, and that our work is to build the kingdom of God. Our allegiance as a church is not to any nation, but our allegiance is to Christ, and our work is to build the kingdom of God as engaged citizens. All of this is to remind us of that. It is subversive, really, not imitating royal life to be like it, but rather imitating royal life to subvert it, to stir up our imaginations about who we are called to follow, Christ the King. This is good news. Because what we see throughout Scripture and in the world, even in this present day, is that earthly kings will always disappoint us. Always. No matter which side those kings are on, no matter their politics or their persuasion, no matter if we voted for them or didn't, when we seek security and freedom from earthly kings, we will always be disappointed. And this really is good news. Because our hope as Christians does not lie in the powers and principalities of earthly rulers. Our hope as Christians is found in the big G God, 
And our living is dictated not by earthly law, but by the law that is above all law, the law to love our neighbors as ourselves. And our ruler, our savior, our king, because he faced death with forgiveness, compassion, and self-sacrifice, and because, as we read in our entire New Testament, he lived with courage and by truth, because of his heart, he is our king. So bring it on, 2020. This is our New Year's resolution as Christian people, less fear, more love. Bring on the elections. Bring on the impeachment or not. Bring on your parade of powers and principalities because we, we the body of Christ and the children of God, we have nothing to fear and no earthly king to seek. We have everything we need already to be free and secure. Everything we need for true liberation. We have the heart of Jesus and the way of life-giving, liberating love. Amen.